From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny. And I'm Benta Brooklyn. This week, State House reporter Ed Sealover with the Denver Business Journal joins us. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So you guys remember how I said session really wasn't as crazy as I was expecting, and I was worried that there was a shoe going to drop on us all. Yeah, the shoe is incoming. The The shoe is dropping out of orbit. As it turns out, session does get quite busy quite fast. And in the meantime, there's also been a ton of national political news to take up all your attention. We had the uh, the impeachment vote, Iowa caucus going to heck in a handbasket, and the upcoming New Hampshire primary. So if anybody, if our audience has lost track of what's going on at the state level, we forgive you. We are here to explain it. <laughs> in the past week, we've seen a few of the biggest bills of the session start to emerge. We've heard hours-long debates, and we've learned the details of some ideas that could really reshape Colorado, as well as a few proposals that are just plain controversial. So let's start with some perspective from Mr. C. Lover. Ed, how long have you been covering the legislature? This is my 14th session covering the legislature. I've been there since 2007. No joke. How is this session like shaping up in comparison? You know, uh, I, I am going to knock on wood and I'm going to say that it doesn't look quite as manic as last year yet, which was uh, the worst that anybody could remember in terms of the number of bills piled on, the seriousness of the issue, the number of times the legislature went past 2 a.m. Um, but uh, but I, I could just be jinxing that right at this point. Now we're guaranteed to have just mayhem at the end of this session. I'll, I'll see my family. March and May, but not April. Yes. So let's uh, let's start off with our first section. Hot bills. Hot bills. Hot bills. I enjoyed watching Ed's face through that. Uh, <laughs> Ed, hot bills. If you haven't heard it before, is where we look through the bills that have just been tearing up the internet rankings, tearing up the website of the Colorado State Legislature, getting the most hits. We're talking dozens, hundreds of hits. We go through them and talk a little bit just about what they do why we think they might be grabbing attention, and that's about it. So first, an update on the puppy mill bill, which was on the list for a few weeks. It would have banned the sale of kittens and puppies at pet stores and set some new regulations for breeders. That one was shot down in its first committee. Next up, we've got the healthcare cost-sharing consumer protections bill. Not necessarily the, the most exciting language that I've ever heard, but uh, nonetheless, it was on there. Ed, can you tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah, well, healthcare sharing ministries uh, were not things that grabbed a lot of attention during the debate over the Affordable Care Act, but they were allowed under federal law. And what they are essentially is groups that are not insurance, but they're groups of people, usually religiously based, who put money in together and basically help to cover each other when they have a big expense. Now, the reason mm. we're talking about this in Colorado uh, 10 years after they were legitimized in federal law is that we had one in particular uh, that was a bad actor that was not paying out its claims. And that is when, and it's usually always, one uh, bad actor that will get the state to step in and try to ramp up regulations, or in this case, at least oversight over these healthcare sharing ministries. Well, you can see why people might be concerned about that. It's obviously an alternative to a very expensive healthcare system. So we'll see where that goes. Um, that bill got its first hearing a couple of days ago. What was the outcome? Well, no outcome yet. There was so much interest in this bill, uh, I'm told, and this was not one of those where I was staying till 1 a.m. for, um, that uh, that they did not take a vote on it. Uh, so, And I think that actually caught uh, some of the, uh, the sponsors by surprise, how much interest there is. And I think that may get them to rethink exactly how much interference they want from the state over these ministries going forward. 
Then we had, again, the bill that would ban hormone therapy and other kinds of gender transitions for minors. It still has almost no chance of passing, but it's been one of the most viewed bills for weeks. It has its first, probably its last hearing, on Thursday. Uh, We also saw interest in something called the Colorado Natural Marriage and Adoption Act. So that one would try to ban same-sex marriage and same-sex adoption. And so any marriages or adoptions would need to promote the, quote, formation of the natural family structure. And this is heading to a committee in the House not expected to pass. And obviously that would also fly in the face of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision previously on this matter. Uh, Regardless, it is going to that committee along with lots of other Republican bills, seven in all on faith, family, gender. They will all be voted down overwhelmingly likely next week. It'll probably be a pretty long hearing. I think I'm probably going to be there. Yeah, I might be too. And I think we can expect a lot of people at the Capitol to testify. Something else that is definitely going to bring a lot of people to the Capitol is the topic of vaccines, and that's actually one of our main discussion items for the week. Lawmakers have unveiled details of a bill that will start in the Senate, uh, but first, will one of you set the stage for us? What exactly is the the big vaccine question for someone who's not familiar at all? Yeah, well, most parents in Colorado do vaccinate their children, but the state does have one of the lowest vaccination rates for kindergartners for measles, mumps, and rubella. It's 89%. The national average is about 94%. So in the last year and now, there's this big push to boost immunization rates. And it's touched off a larger cultural discussion about the rights of parents, the rights of the state, is the state overstepping, and how much authority do parents have to, to make their decisions versus the public health risks that people are concerned about. So there's been a, definitely some strong opposition to any changes to Colorado's laws. Well, got it. So what is the situation right now in Colorado, though? If I have kids, do, do I have to get them vaccinated? Kids have to be vaccinated to go to school or daycare, but it's a pretty simple process. There's a form and you have to have a personal belief, a medical reason or a religious reason not to want to vaccinate your child. What's on the table now then? What are they talking about? parents would have to, if they want to opt their child out of a vaccine, they would have to get a signature from a a medical professional, someone who's... This is under a new bill? Yes. This was, this is what the policy that's going to be debated this session. And then if you didn't want to get a signature from a medical professional, you would watch a video, a short vaccine educational video that will be produced by the state health department. And Democratic Senator Julie Gonzalez of Denver, she's one of the sponsors of the bill, and they do have a Republican on board. It's largely been fairly partisan, though, at the state house, and she just she thinks it's one of the most critical pieces of legislation this session, and definitely acknowledge that it is going to be controversial. What we're trying to do with this bill is to ask everyone to put in equal effort so that our social contract of having safe and healthy public schools, of having safe and healthy childcare facilities that are accessible to all, that is the work that we are trying to do with this bill. This is not about shame. They did try something like this before, didn't they? It was a different bill, but with the same objective, and it would have required parents to turn in a form to the state health department or another health agency, but not a school. And the governor was not supportive of that. He just said, This is a a burden for parents to have to physically go to a state health department to turn in a form, especially in this modern digital age. So how did people react? Like, how did people take Polis' stance there? 
I think it was, you know, people who didn't like the bill were pretty happy. They felt like he was really standing up for them against, you know, uh, Democratic overreach that you heard from a lot of conservatives related to last session. And this was seen as, wow, Polis is is coming out here and saying he's not going to sign this bill. And I think that did play a big role in why it failed in the first chamber it was in. It didn't make it very far through the legislature. And then ever since then, members of the health community have been working with the Polis administration to try to get something that they can all agree on. They weren't willing to just give up on this issue. Obviously, that was Polis's first session in the legislature, too. Ed, how much of a moment was that in terms of him defining who he really is? Well, I think for the people who saw Polis as a bolder liberal entering that session, you suddenly got the taste of his libertarian streak, this I am not as big a fan of government as you think I am, except in other ways, such as government regulation of healthcare prices. Um, so I, I think it really set things up for, for Polis to almost jump in more often to some of these issues and and give a contrarian view to what the typical Democratic Party line was. Although there are a fair amount of bolder liberals who uh, are not so much a fan of vaccines. That that is true, and I'm sure that weighed in on on the reason he decided to jump in on this. Uh, but but it clearly showed too that that he was not going to be a, a governor who went straight down the line with every position that you thought he was going to take. Okay, so Polis sent up a big signal last year, kind of changed the path of the legislation. Is he going to support it this year? Yes, he's already come out publicly. His office has said he thinks the the bill this year that will be discussed strikes the right balance between this idea of parental rights and protecting public health and boosting immunization rates. So this changes the whole discussion. A lot of lawmakers last year were wary about tackling such a controversial issue again, at least in terms of the people who were coming to the Capitol, if they didn't think the governor would sign it. Let's talk about another issue where Polis is kind of flexing his political muscle and that is paid family leave, looks set to potentially happen this year. And, and what it is is uh, the this declaration that workers should have a right to take some amount of time off for childbirth or for a family medical emergency, and that they shouldn't have to go without pay when they do that. Uh, Ed, how long have they actually been talking about this concept in Colorado, though? We've been talking about this concept since 2014, so longer than three of the current four sponsors of the bill have actually been in office. Uh, It has died in five of the last six years in the legislature, and this is constantly a battle between uh, advocates for workers' rights and for family rights who say, look, we need to give them partially paid family leave, not your whole salary, but a certain percentage that if you take off for 8 to 12 weeks, you can have, so you don't have to choose between staying on the job or taking care of your family. Um, And businesses who are saying, look, we can't afford this. Not the way that you're laying this out on a one-size-fits-all grid. And for the last number of years, businesses have fought back in that sense, saying, look, the the state can't tell this what to do. This is going to make it harder to be flexible, to help our employees. And it may hurt the people you intended to help, because if we have to cut back on our budget, it's going to be the people who may need this leave the most who may not have jobs. This year, however, is a different story. And this has been such a priority for Democrats year after year. And now that they've gained control of the legislature, I think folks are really hoping it happens this session. But 
eight other states in Washington, D.C. now have paid family leave laws. So we are seeing some momentum and movement. And even President Donald Trump mentioned it in his State of the Union address. Whether we are Republican, Democrat or independent, surely we must all agree that every human life is a sacred gift from God. As we support America's moms and dads, I was recently proud to sign the law providing new parents in the federal workforce paid family leave, serving as a model for the rest of the country. Let's get to the actual Colorado discussion. Ed, what are they talking about? What what they had been talking about in years past is the idea of the state overseeing a system in which it takes out a percentage of the paycheck of each worker each week, puts it into this pool, and workers who are dealing with a new child, their own sickness, a family sickness, an escape from domestic violence, or a call up to active duty uh, militarily in their family could dip into there for as much as 12 weeks uh, and be able to take partially paid time off. Governor Polis, however, inserted himself into this debate this summer uh, as a task force that was put together to study this issue. That was the compromise in last year's bill. No system, but we'd like a task force to go forward. The task force uh, was looking at things, and Polis said, I want you to consider the idea that we don't have a state-run system. Instead, we have a private market system, much like Colorado does workers' comp insurance, where we lay out the mandates of what you have to provide for workers, and then you can either decide to just provide it as a company where you go out onto the insurance market and you buy a policy to cover the costs of that. Now, the task force considered this, rejected it pretty wholeheartedly, at least uh. the Democrats, uh, the appointed Democrats on the task force certainly why, why, did. why didn't they like it? They thought it could lead to discrimination, that if companies were going to a, a private market to buy things, uh, policies could be more expensive if you were a company that had more women of childbearing age or more older workers who would be more likely to have to take this kind of leave. So they didn't like that it was taking some of it out of this more public official realm. Why did Polis want to do that? Polis liked the idea of not getting the state as involved. A, uh, you know, the, the estimates were this would be a billion two or more to run this program out of the state every, every year. year. Uh, and secondly, it also put the state, if the estimates of how much it was going to cost were wrong, it put the state on the hook for having to find ways to fund this uh, if not enough money was coming in from employees' paychecks. He didn't want either of those liabilities. And so as Faith Winter discussed the bill with me and a couple other uh, journalists this week, what she said was, we are going for kind of a hybrid. I, I would have preferred a social insurance model, but ultimately we knew that last year in order to get a bill that passes and a bill that provides paid family leave to uh, Coloradans, we would have to make changes. And the changes we made were to make sure that we had a bill that could pass. So we have Democratic Senator Faith Winter willing to shift her perspective on how she was envisioning this program. But what about other Democrats who feel very strongly that this should be something the state is in charge of and they don't trust the private sector to to manage paid family leave. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of worries about the discrimination that could come from that, about uh, the pricing that could come from that. And I will say the silence was stunning from the normal advocates of this program, groups like the Colorado Fiscal Institute or 9 to 5 Colorado. The only thing that you saw after Winter discussed her proposal was a single statement from a group calling itself the Family Coalition that said, we'll look at this. 
while we've been talking about politicians, what do we know about what business people think of both the overall concept of providing paid family leave and also the specifics of this uh, this new proposal? Businesses are supportive of providing paid family leave, especially in a tight labor market where benefits really help to attract the best talent. They hate government mandates. And while they are more interested in this private market solution that is being proposed through this bill, they still view there being a lot of unanswered questions in here, as well as a lot of mandates that they're not sure are going to work for businesses of all sizes that are being put forward in this bill. Why do they prefer the private model? Because it gives them more flexibility. The the previous iterations of this bill not only had the state collecting money to run this program, but also had the state actually making the decisions on which employees were allowed to take time off when they requested it. This one gives business more control to sit down and work something out with their employees. And that's particularly important for, say, a small business who might have five employees and might be losing one of them for eight weeks at a time to be able to work out a solution rather than just be uh, given a yes or a no by the state government. All right, before we get out of here, let's do the crowd favorite, maybe just my favorite, who knows. It's a little segment called, wait, what? It's surprising and amusing moments from this week's politics. So my wait what moment happened when I was talking to our CPR colleague, Allison Sherry, we were discussing the State of the Union address and she started to tell me about one of the times she covered the State of the Union when she was a reporter for the Denver Post covering Washington, D.C. I always covered the State of the Union in person because it was valuable to grab members of Congress afterwards and get quotes and that sort of thing. And where the press sit in the State of the Union, at least this is how it was, in these years, this was probably 2012, 2013, where the press sit is right above the president. So you can't really see the president. I mean, if you stood up and looked down, you could see the top of his head. I'm sitting there right above the president. I'm wearing this long pearl necklace that was not expensive. I mean, and you'll understand why I say it's not expensive (laughs) in the next is part of the story. I think I bought it like at Marshall's or something. It was like $7. And it was this long strand of pearls and I was wearing a dress and I was just listening to the speech. And it was at the beginning of the speech when the president starts saying things like, oh, thank you to my cabinet secretary or thank you to this person or that person. And I'm fidgeting with my necklace, my cheap necklace. (laughs) And all of a sudden it breaks. And the thing you should know about cheap, fake pearls (laughs) is that they fall and they bounce. They bounce and they start making that like, it'd be like throwing a plastic bouncing ball onto a hardwood floor. It just bounces and bounces back up and bounce, bounce, bounce. And they're just coming off in this string. And it's a long string. It went all the way down to my waist. And that was what I was petrified about, was that these are going to bounce over the railing and go onto the president's head. Luckily for Allison, they did not land on President Barack Obama's head, but she said they were all over, kind of caused mayhem in the press gallery as these pearls bounced around and reporters were trying to grab them for it. And so she said it was just like this huge moment of panic. I would have loved to see her face during that. She she would have made international news for sure. Pearls were <laughs> dropping on his head as he was talking. All right. You want to hear mine? Yes. Um, I was sitting on the floor, the House floor the other day, listening to a debate about uh, private prisons. And here's how Republican Representative Richard Holtorf opened his remarks. Um, When I reviewed this bill, I named it something. And it was an old movie that Clint Eastwood 
acted in. To the mill. <laughs> I'm not joking. To the mill, Representative Holtorf. Okay, so there's good parts to the bill, there's bad parts to the bill, and there's ugly parts to the bill. And thank you, Mr. Chairman, for allowing me to speak to the... It was very good whistling, sir, to the bill. Thank you. I'll say that was happening at like after 6 p.m. Ed, were you listening to that? I was listening to that, and you're right. That was um, that was a showstopper, even for those of us who had it on only as background noise. <laughs> they were getting chippy. They were getting pretty punchy. I wonder how long they would have let him whistle. I wonder how long he would have whistled had they <laughs> not stopped him. That's the real question. <laughs> Ed, you got well, one for well, us? Well, mine isn't nearly as amusing as either of yours, but uh, I think we both know that as reporters, sometimes you just assume a certain outcome in government, and you say, oh, in, in the state house, there's multiple chances to cover a bill. Well, I just assumed that with the Democrats' push for environmentalism, that I would have multiple chances to cover a bill that would allow cities and counties to ban plastics if they wanted. Look at my surprise when all of my sources started telling me, oh, it just got killed in committee. Wait, what? Yes, uh, a bill that would have allowed cities and counties to require uh, local restaurants not package something in styrofoam or that they package it in something compostable went down by a three to two vote in the local government committee late Tuesday night. What happened? Uh, a Democrat Angela Williams decided that she was not in favor of this. She sided with the folks who were against it, namely restaurants who were saying, look, if you have this patchwork of regulations across the state, especially multiple location restaurants are going to have no idea where they can use forks that are plastic and where they can't use forks that are plastic. And so this is a good reminder. Don't ever take your eye off the ball. You don't know what's going to happen in the legislature, no matter how much you think you do. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleague Benta Berkland and our guest Ed Sealover of the Denver Business Journal. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey. Our politics editor is Megan Verlee. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. If you're enjoying Purplish, please help others find us. Leave us a rating and a review and give us a shout out on social media. And if you know someone who needs Purplish in their life, send them a link. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.